kitty mode. Oh, fuck. Just in time for the podcast. Oh, man. Welcome to Mindless Matters, everyone. We are here in the presence of a rare kitty mode. No. Kitty mode right now? During a podcast? During the podcast. It's unbelievable. We can't believe it. Oh, crack open a cold kitty mode. Uh, if Was you that couldn't the intro? Tell, yeah, if you couldn't tell oh, from no. our shenanigans, um, Mindless Matters is an 18 plus podcast. It features live inductions. <laughs> Uh, don't listen to it while driving, or we'll come to your house, eat all the food in your fridge, and then sit on your stairs. Menacingly. And you know who you are. I'm looking right at you. You're also responsible for ensuring your own safety. Uh, also, you it's are. a podcast focused on learning, teaching, and discussion of erotics or recreational hypnosis. What is up, gamers? We're here, again. What, what isn't up, gamers? Oh, we're sorry uh, for missing the episode last month. Uh, we personally, us speaking, have been uh, trying to get a house or uh, a house to rent. So things have been a lot. New job, new living situation. But we're here and we're recording again. And hopefully we'll be able to keep up that pace. Yeah. And that pace that we have is something we've been actually trying to do for a while uh, something that we actually asked for y'all's help for uh, a couple times. Unveiling a new project. That's right. Today is a new kind of episode. It's Hypnosis in Media. Uh, and we don't have a fancy name for it yet. Maybe it'll get one later. Maybe it'll be named something uh, that we don't know yet, because uh, we'll talk about it after we're done recording. Who knows? We could we could name it Meh. Media in nope. Hypnosis. Nope. Or we could name it him. Like, like a, the Powerpuff like, Girl? Like a Powerpuff Girl, yes, hive mind. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Don't you worry your pretty little heads about it. Um, but what we're going to be doing is we're going to go through five examples of hypnosis in media. It is actually four. And we're going to just talk about how it's portrayed in the media, and we're going to break down what's complete bullshit. And what actually makes a bit of sense. For those of you uh, that enjoy a media from time to time, nerdy, um, and uh, perhaps even got started in Hypno Kink from one of these, uh, we're, we're going to talk about it. We're going to get um, roll our sleeves up and really examine examples of hypnosis and like mind control. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, brief mention, there's obviously going to be some spoilers in this episode, um, so we're going to give you right up front, uh, there will be spoilers in this episode for Bioshock, specifically Bioshock 1, The Simpsons, She-Ra Princesses of Power, the new one, and with all that said, we can probably jump in unless you want to say something else, Jess Jess. No, that sounds great. Okay, so, let us start with a phrase that has definitely kickstarted this fetish for many, many, many people. Would you kindly from Bioshock? That's big. That's a big one. We're starting off with a bomb. We've seen people in a couple servers we're in just, like, talk horny about this apropos of nothing before. 
We wanted to include it. We've played Bioshock. We know that it's horny. But let's talk about how the game portrays it. Uh, we're just going to go down a list. Would you kindly uh, is a trigger uh, phrase um, that is very infamous in the Bioshock game. Uh, because the big twist at the end is that they reveal that one of the characters you have uh, been working with up to this point has been uh, prefacing all of their their phrases to ask you to do things with, would you kindly do this? Or would you kindly do that? Um, and then later it is revealed that it is an irresistible, like brainwashed programming um, uh, so, so any time that um, the person said "Would you kindly" and followed it with something, it's revealed that you cannot resist that. And it's really interesting because in game, you know, you have to follow the certain uh, like like ways to progress the game. And so, so, so no matter what you would do, any time they say that trigger phrase it is irresistible to the player because that's the only way to progress the game. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, you've, you've kind of like, there's a justification for why you always followed this uh, person's uh, asking is because you, the main character had this irresistible trigger programmed into him from birth. Yep. It's whack. Would you kindly, in the game's lore, is a deeply ingrained hypnotic trigger phrase brainwashed into Jack, the player character, from birth with the specific intent of it to be an irresistible trigger, which is kind of bullshit, but, you know, don't worry about it. Uh, it also appears to have been enhanced through the use of genetic manipulation and plasmids, uh, which are fancy game drugs. Um, and that's a bit more on the fantasy side, but it could be a little more grounded in reality, like we'll talk about later. Um... This uh, irresistible part of it was shown off in the game when Jack, as a child, was forced to kill his pet puppy, which is... Wow. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot, and it's just... Y'all, that ain't it. That ain't how that works. One interesting thing to note is that this is actually one of two triggers Jack has in the game. Uh, the other trigger is called Code Yellow, which is a trigger near the end of the game that is used on him to cause his heart to stop beating. The, the funny part about this, though, is that it doesn't work, which is, one, hilarious, and two, actually grounded in reality, um, because you can't just give somebody a trigger and say, hey, you're dying now. And you'll die. That that's nothing. What but you does... can give them a trigger and say, "Hey, you're dying now," and then it's really sexy. <laughs> you're right. Um, what the trigger does in game, in lore, is that it causes Jack's body to function a lot worse. Uh, it lowers your health bar in game and does a bunch of side effects, and it makes him feel like he's dying. Um, but you never actually are killed by it. You're not actually on a timer. So whether or not it's, like, the lore intention to have it not really work, we're gonna take the benefit of the doubt and say that they got that part right. Because it's cooler for us. Another thing, uh, that happens in the game related to the would-you-kindly-trigger phrase in Jack's programming is that he was given 
programmed memories as part of being grown in uh, one Dr. Su Chong's lab. And he was even sent to the surface away from the city of Rapture before the events of the first game, which kind of causes the would you kindly phrase to double as a sleeper agent thing. It's complicated. We'll, we'll circle back on that. And immediately after the ma major plot twist of the game, um, Frank Fontaine actually revealing that he is in fact himself and not Atlas, who you thought was working with you, um, you are knocked unconscious escaping from him. Uh, and you wake up in the care of one Dr. Tannenbaum. At which point Jack is told that most of his mental conditioning was just removed while asleep. Um, this didn't remove the conditioning on Code Yellow, though, so you have to go on a quest to go and get a specific drug to quote-unquote cure the conditioning that remains, which... Ooh, ha, hmm. What's your take on that, Jess? Um... <laughs> Tasty drugs. You know I mean, what? You probably That's need... take. You need a cure for something. Right. Like, it, it, part of it makes sense, because it's like, there's there's drugs in part of the conditioning, but it's also like, is that how drugs work? We're not a pharmacist. <laughs> I'm sorry, that just reminded me of, but I'm a healer. <laughs> um, so time to circle back on some of these and what we actually glean from this information. Talking about what all of this means... Using would you kindly as a trigger phrase and claiming that it's a sleeper agent phrase to jump back to that point is kind of weird. Uh, it's it's implemented in the game to give kind of more of a reason as to why Jack doesn't remember gr growing up in the lab and has implanted memories of a life he never lived, uh, presumably so that he could live undetected on the surface by Ryan, uh, who is most notably... A really paranoid capitalist motherfucker. Just a super fucking oh man. Yowza. Um So they they're they're kind of like playing two ball games where they're like, okay, yeah. so it's a hypnotic trigger, uh, but it's also a sleeper agent trigger. Right. And, and it's like there's mm, there's some wires crossed in there, but they aren't working for us. Like like that's kind of against what what like the traditional idea of a sleeper agent is because a sleeper mm -hmm. agent is sort of um you know they they unlock all of these old memories from like a trigger phrase and realize that they are a double agent um yeah and it's kind of a thing that's there to hide their double agent side but it feels like they kind of just put that in there to like sweep under the under the table like the implanted memories and whatnot Mm -hmm. And it and mostly just so that they can have that plot twist. Like the the fact that it's a sleeper agent phrase is just kind of a plot device. Like it would have been, we won't say it would have been fine just as a trigger phrase because we're not the writers of the game. But speaking from a hypnosis perspective, there should have been like a different phrase for it. Removing conditioning, uh, like we talked about with Doctor Tannenbaum, um is a process that takes a while, like a long time, especially if it's that deeply ingrained in someone, like from birth. Like, that's a big deal. You can't uh, do that it, in a surgery. Uh, yeah, no, or, you can't You can't just surgery the brain. 
Um, so like to to actually remove conditioning, there's not a good way to remove conditioning. It's a it's a mm-hmm. learned behavior. It's a pattern. The only thing that we can do is replace them. And the way that we replace behaviors is by, you know, the same way that we form any pattern or habit or or what have you, is to start mm-hmm. doing it consistently. Um, and eventually, you know, you kind of get the muscle memory for it. And, right. And so removing conditioning is the same process. Instead of doing X whenever you are conditioned to, instead of, you know, obeying when you hear, would you kindly do this? Um, instead, you would just slowly over time um, work your way up to not obeying when that is said. Right. Or, or what and, have you. And you certainly can't just get that effect after being knocked unconscious for an hour or two. Like, you have to just think about how ridiculous that is looking at it from, like, a realistic perspective. Ah, but the thing is, they used uh, magical game chemicals to change your brain. They did, but it's like, okay... So let's let's talk about that. If they have these plasmids, these chemicals in Jack's brain that are like you, making use of hypnotic abilities to make Jack like more suggestible to the specific phrase and the specific trigger. Sure, maybe Dr. Tannenbaum had the chemicals to do that. But the idea that you'd need a chemical to counteract long-term brainwashing and chemically assisted conditioning in the first place is like there's some sense to it but not that quick yeah it feels like the writers kind of had like this interesting little grip on hypnosis and then Mm -hmm. they kind of just let some of it fall between their fingers which you know that's perfectly fine it's a work of fiction they can have their their magic drugs and you know what it makes for frankly uh, a very hot idea but yeah um, there's a reason that we're talking about it and there's a reason that like it's revered this isn't us like shit talking it. This is us being like, "Hey, this isn't real." Yeah, here's here's us trash talking media uh, because mm-hmm. it wasn't true true enough to hypnosis. Uh, we're just critiquing Ren Fair costumes. <laughs> That's that's good. what we're doing here. Um, not accurate. Not accurate, but it's okay. It's still it's still fun just not accurate it's not real it's a fake gamer um so would you kindly is used as a trigger phrase both before and after a command in different instances of its use and this does make sense because that will actually work and make sense in real practice but as like a nitpick it's going to be more effective in real life if you use it before the command is given so you don't have to like have the sort of confusion catch up to you and, like, that processing catch up to you to, like, have to rewind in your brain to actually do the command that was given now that you've heard the trigger phrase. Yeah, totally. Because, like, whenever you hear whenever you hear a trigger phrase, one of the things that you're kind of conditioning your mind to do is to pay very close attention to what uh, what is said next mm-hmm. um, for those kind of, like, uh, universal triggers where you can just add on what you want done after the trigger phrase like would you kindly yeah. and so um so while you can say something like go do x would you kindly um 
it, it would be a little less effective because um, if you hear would you kindly first, that's the part that keys your mind into listening. It's um, a primer. Yeah, it primes you to listen carefully to the next thing because that's what you're going to be following it. You might not mm -hmm. even be paying attention to what they're saying until you hear the would you kindly at the end. But, you know. Yeah. Uh, if you if you suggest that it works that way, then it totally would. It's just um, inaccuracy. Not the best not, move there. It's just not even inaccuracy at that point. It's inefficiency. Oh, inefficiency. I don't know. You know, everybody's brain's different. Maybe that works better yeah. for somebody. I, I can't. You know what? I can't be the grand arbiter of that. But it's that's not how a I fair. That's a fair thing to say. We're gonna we're gonna retcon this point and you know go what? This with point that. This point is canceled. <laughs> we've done it. We've added constructive like things to our notes. <laughs> we've changed our mind. Hell yeah. Uh the next point, however, is the use of genetic manipulation and plasmids on Jack is kind of actually similar to mind altering substance using uh used during real life during trance, which can like impaired judgment uh and other things jess you've been high you know what this is like talk to us about how you think that would interact or if you've like played around with that before um so have you ever done drugs before i've never done drugs before but i can talk about them for some reason okay um <laughs> uh so i'm actually not sure like how uh like relevant um the kind of connection between plasmids and like possibly like uh real life mind altering substances is um mm -hmm. you know uh as far as like substance use uh whether it's you know you can throw alcohol and caffeine in there if you want to um cannabis uh any kind of like hallucinogen usually those uh make you worse at trance uh, mm. because you lose the ability to like focus well enough that makes um, sense but um it can have other effects that make other aspects of trance more easy generally uh it's pretty easy to like fall into trance easily uh whenever you are under the influence you know if if you're in any headspace to be able to like like, focus at all, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you might not be able to stay in it as long. You might not have as, like, vivid re reactions or, like, uh, formed habits. I think I think the habit forming would probably be impaired because uh, the way that you encode memories is actually uh, different whenever your state is influenced. Okay. Um, it's this is actually a really weird side point to talk about, but um whenever you are uh high in a certain way, uh the way that your body encodes that memory, uh it encodes it in the way that like your your you know, high brain would. Um and hmm. so decoding that memory is actually easier when you are high than if you were sober. Um so it's not going to be very good for forming like long-term uh, habits. And it's also probably not going to be very effective in the moment because again, you're not focusing as much on it. Um, this is interesting. We can't believe that Jack is just on hypnotic Adderall. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean like, 
there there are some other th- like it really it depends on what you're doing i yeah i would say but there there are other aspects like you might fall into trance easier or you might be able to uh, vividly hallucinate in one form or another but like not necessarily be uh as con- in control of it as you might mm-hmm. be as like a a practiced sober subject um but you know sometimes uh if if you are are into drug play um there are some interesting avenues that you can play with because it uh is different but but as far as like yeah the source material it seems like in most cases um it it's going to make your your uh trancing and especially your conditioning worse mhm that's such an interesting point we're glad we brought this up even if the point we were going to make was like pretty like wrong because we got that out of it oh yeah totally that's something we like about doing this sort of style of episode is that like we have like a ton of points like to break the fourth wall a little we have a bunch of points here that are scripted out when we were actually doing this research um and two of them so far have just like jess has just changed our mind on uh and that's cool and we like that so yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. Um, so how do we how do we um, kind of implement this in our own hypno scenes? Ah, the thing, the secret, the secret bit that we're doing is we're going to talk about how we can implement these, as Jess said, like in a real world scenario, well, physical world scenario. So our main thought, and feel free to add on or subtract or change this however you like, Jess is you could probably use Would You Kindly as it's used in-game at face value pretty easily. We're sure a lot of people who do erotic hypnosis or just hypnosis have done this as a scene or as a party trick, even. Uh, You can just have it be... Yeah? Totally. Yeah. You can just have it act as a trigger where when the subject hears the phrase... um, Ideally, just from one person, because come on, man, the game put no safeties on it at all, which is real whack, considering the amount of paranoia and, like, Cold War-style shit surrounding Jack's birth-slash-growth-slash-everything in the lore of the game. Like, mm, come on. Um, You just have that phrase cause somebody to feel utterly compelled to follow through on the action that's associated with it. You are clearly not going to get anybody snapping an animal's neck for you, but why would you want that? Why? So, fun story. Um, Uh Uh-huh. Sam and I uh, recently uh, realized that we have our own Would You Kindly, and you know what? It's if, If you're a keen listener, I might have started this in a podcast episode and just kept it going since then. Or, you know, I I could have even, like, directly, like, done a scene about this, but I, sh- I don't fucking remember. The funny part is we don't remember the phrase, even though we, we literally had this conversation of, like, wait, we have this phrase, and we remember having that conversation, but we don't remember the phrase. We forgot it again. Yeah, the conversation was, oh, hey, I think the, um, uh, why don't you trigger is coming yes. along nicely. Um, and we were like, what? <laughs> 
And so um, we looked through kind of our like uh, backlog of messages and uh, like, sure enough, the first time it appeared was like fucking a year ago, almost to the day. Uh-huh. And and there were just several logs of it being used. And that's just over text. Yeah. And and basically, you know, it's exactly like the would you kindly. It's, but but uh, I, I chose the phrasing very specifically. I ask Sam, you know, why don't you? And then I, I say uh, what I, I want her to do. And then she kind of has an option because she either tells me why she mm-hmm. does not do that or she simply does it. Yeah, it's very good and we like it a lot. It's very efficient. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll show it off in this episode or anything, uh, but Sam is always very receptive to it. And it's not something that like is is conditioned to like happen right away or necessarily immediately. But, um, well, she doesn't always recognize it. She's very good at keeping up with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're smiling very proudly. You can't see it, but we are. Okay. That's good. You should smile. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you want to add anything else about Would You Kindly? Sexy. <laughs> it is sexy. It's a very, it's a very neat, it's a very neat take on it, and it's also pretty, pretty par for the course on, like, the amount of accuracy you see in something like this in popular media. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's always one of those things, like, you, you mentioned it earlier, like, um, it shows up in hypnosis hypnosis uh, servers a lot, and mm-hmm. people will just be like, especially when they're just starting out, like, you you can do that. You can, yeah, you can you can make somebody do the would you kindly thing, and it's like, yes, yeah. of course, that's actually like a great example of a trigger. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It just does some really weird things with it when you look a little bit deeper into it. But like on the surface, yeah, that checks out. Now, for this next point, the Simpsons bit we were talking about, we were doing research on this, and we reached out to a bunch of you folks in the server and some of our friends in another hypnosis server, and somebody, we don't remember your name or username, but somebody mentioned that there's an episode of The Simpsons where Homer has an ab reaction, and that made us flip our fucking gourd, because that is like a unicorn. Who the fuck in in like media puts an accurate representation of an ab reaction in a show? We had to know. We had to know. Uh, Hold on. P yeah. Prime. That was who it was. Oh, you found it? P Prime? Thank you, P Prime. So this happens in episode uh in the episode called The Blunder Years in season thirteen, if you want to look it up. Through a few things involving Homer trying to have somebody pose as the bounty paper towel man to take Marge on a date. Um, we all end up at an event at like this little like, dinner party sort of thing. Uh, Homer is hypnotized by the stage hypnotist hired there, first to quote unquote transform into a famous historian, then into Emily Dickinson. Uh, and Homer doesn't know who these people are because he's Homer. He's the he's the funny man. Um, so he just shouts, look at me, everyone, I'm a famous historian, I'm Angie Dickinson, get out of my way, while running around and just, like, shouting, which is both pretty accurate and pretty funny. Um, 
But after those first two stage trances, Homer's hypnotized to be himself at age 12, which, correct us if we're wrong, but we're pretty sure that's a fairly standard, like, stage hypnosis bit. Like, just having somebody do, like, uh, like a memory, like, age regression sort of thing. Ooh, I don't know. No? Is that not a normal thing? I don't, I don't think, I think stage hypnotists, uh, hypnotists would probably know that that is like kind of a probably a bad idea because yeah. you don't know what everybody's 12 year old 12 years old is um as but everybody knows what out. a chicken is and it just goes bok also yeah. also a stage hypnotist would probably never hypnotize somebody to be a chicken because like that's just way on the nose uh-huh it's it's overplayed um Fun anecdote, we did have a friend who went to a stage hypnotist and um they they were told to they actually got up on the stage for it uh from the audience and they were told to start speaking in a different language and the language they were speaking in was completely made up but it was actually like consistent in their brain which is just really cool to us. Oh, that's interesting. Mhm. Man, I not to be like i don't know weird or anything but i really like this hypnosis stuff yeah right it's pretty interesting pretty cool pretty cool um i think i'm gonna start a podcast about it yeah right so homer hypnotized to be himself at 12 um and this causes him to go through a few things recalling camping with his friends at the old swimming hole and as soon as he remembers the swimming hole, he starts screaming. And he doesn't stop screaming. Uh, he gets brought up out of trance briefly, and briefly feels a little bit better. Um, and then he starts screaming again. We've all been there. We've all been there. Uh, and the hypnotist doesn't know what to do with this, and doesn't attempt to help Homer or anything. He just kind of takes his stage props and exits stage left. See, Which... this is the training tape that they show stage hypnotists. Yeah. They're just like, see, this is what happens when you hypnotize people to remember that they're, they're, they're selves at 12. Don't do they it. Think of the watering hole. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to take your tent and run away. Yes. Um, and this kind of just shows that, like, the dude probably didn't really know what he was doing or... This just hadn't gone wrong for him yet, and it was bound to eventually. But we're applying logic to a cartoon, which is kind of the whole point of this show. So, um, getting down to it, it turns out that the reason Homer's screaming for days and days on end um, is because at that time, when he was 12 at the waterhole, he discovered a dead body uh, after noticing a clog in a pond. And when he tugged at the clog to remove it, um, he ended up pulling a rotten corpse out of it, and it landed in his lap, and just straight up was incredibly traumatizing and made him repress the memory, only to have it come back, like, unexpectedly remembering, you know, being 12 and remembering that sort of very important day without remembering why it was important. Mm -hmm. God, y'all, it's so cool to see every action actually portrayed in media. This is just... Going on to, like, analysis of these points, this is really a cool thing to see for us. An on-screen example in media, ex like, showing a pretty good, accurate of an ab reaction 
is just rare. You don't see that. People don't see that side of hypnosis a lot in media. Um, we just really wanted to like have this on here and we were really excited to have it on here to tell more people that it exists. Cause honestly, like we were super jazzed doing all this research. We were just sitting there at our computer being like, Oh man, this is so cool. This is so fucked up. This is so cool. Like something as mundane as the Simpsons got it pretty much right. Like, that's that's not the first thing that you think about whenever you think about like tropes of hypnosis and media. And yeah. um this is kind of like a very honest side of hypnosis. You know, um abreactions can happen in any kind of hypnosis. Um mm-hmm. uh it is a little bit more something talked about in the in the clinical spheres because, you know, uh they sometimes try and uh purposefully provoke ab reactions for the purpose of like therapy and and healing from those things but yeah you know they do so with like training and and um education education on it they're not Mm -hmm. they're not stage hypnotists uh no offense to stage hypnotists great at what they do but you know Mm -hmm. if they're if they're hypnotizing people to regress they should probably watch this episode uh. <laughs> <laughs> like it's 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 very much like it's stage hypnotism, erotic hypnotism, and therapeutic hypnotism are all very different, and anyone experienced in any of those will tell you the same thing. Like, right? Yeah, but um, it's whenever you think of hypnotism, you you think of like being compelled and whatnot, and this is just like um, just like s- such a such a an idea that uh people in hypnosis are familiar with but um don't really see represented in media yeah like props to the writer for this episode or the writing team for this episode like with some embellishment this is almost spot on yeah <laughs> the performance bit homer going with the flow and performing his interpretation of what a famous historian or emily dickinson would be is also really accurate. His brain, his imagination is filling in the blanks using context clues uh, and responding to the suggestion in the way that makes the most sense internally, which, kind of funny enough, paints Homer as a pretty good natural hypnotic subject, which is just really fun. Like, you you can probably hear, we have a big groofy grin on our face talking about it. Uh Uh-huh. Um... And that's, you know, again, pretty spot on. Like, you're obviously not going to gain any information that you didn't have before, uh, but your mind might fabricate some information on the fly uh, while you're kind of in that different headspace. Um, and so, again, just good. Mm-hmm. It's just good. The screaming. It's It's exaggerated, but what it's trying to express makes sense. Um, it would make sense that such a strong ab reaction of, like, a traumatizing repressed memory would be affecting Homer for that long, for, like, days or weeks. Uh, like, emotionally speaking, he could be uncomfortable or anxious or on edge or even just terrified and, like, shaky for no reason due to how, like, severe it is and the fact that he still can't remember it, but he can feel it. Um... The constant screaming is likely just there for the sake of humor or a plot device to, like, force the characters into actually exploring 
why this happened and what is making him scream nonstop. Yeah, I think it might have been a little um, unrealistic that the uh, cartoon had Homer Simpson screaming for <laughs> for years. Oh, <laughs> for decades. Know, I, for decades, he died of old age screaming. That doesn't actually happen in the episode. No. Fucking treehouse of horror shit. <laughs> uh, but um, but they are right in that it can affect you for a long time. Yeah, and like pretty severely. Just not scream your head off severely, like nonstop. You might scream a little, maybe, if it feels right. So, um, um, how do we bring this into our hypnosis play? You don't. <laughs> try not to. <laughs> try don't try don't do you this. Know what? Try he maybe don't. Here's how you uh don't recreate this. Yeah. Uh, just kind of be careful with with uh with regression. You might want to talk to your partner about like possible associations they might have because you don't know when those would ever pop up. You really can't predict it. The only thing yeah. that you can do is communicate, do what you can to mitigate risk in, in situations where there might be risk, um, you know, like with regression um, and, uh, you know, kind of younger selves. And uh, just be prepared that it might happen anyway and have a plan for what to do if that happens, you know? Some yeah, people it, need different kinds of aftercare. Mm -hmm. And, it, like, this is something we'll talk about if we ever do an episode on uh, regression. You want to, like, have in mind, like, mm, probably shouldn't do that. I was pretty damn stressed that year. <laughs> yeah. Like have an idea roughly of like where you were at mentally and like emotionally during the time that you're talking about. I mean, in fairness, like, you know, kind of like going through that in your mind is like basically priming yourself for the session anyway, if, if you yeah. want to kind of get in the headspace, but that's, that's a good time to explore, uh, you know, the things that might come, come up wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and, uh, one other thing to just be aware of is that, you know, you are uh, not a therapist. Um, your play partners, you do not have a professional uh, relationship with. Uh, it is it is not your job or within your capability to treat somebody's app reaction. You can do whatever mm -hmm. you can to comfort them. But, you know, we, uh, they say in the kink community, uh, uh, therapeutic, not therapy. Mm-hmm. Like, we were going to mention, like, all this is, of course, talking from the p viewpoint of an erotic hypnotist. Yeah. Like, um, this this stuff takes on a very different scope if you're doing, like, therapy versions of hypnosis. Like, the many kinds that there are. But for, for erotic hypnosis, unless you have a lot of trust and precaution and negotiation and experience and safeties and every other thing on that checklist... Don't cause an ab reaction on purpose for a scene, but maybe if you do, if you know someone really well, if you're like a long-term play partner or in a, you know, hypnotic relationship with somebody, Ready and you have all that trust. Play. What's up? Ready for some edge play. Ready for some edge play, you're in a pretty okay, like, space. Yeah, sure, do it if you want to, Um, if you're prepared. Don't fucking take this lightly. If there is any detail unaccounted for, 
please don't do this. Please don't give yourself a really bad day. Please don't make your day just like all unplanned aftercare because you weren't prepared for something to go wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, And moving along from that point, we get to Shira, a show that we love, a show that we hold near and dear to our heart, uh, Um, and Horde Prime. So if you haven't seen Princesses of Power, I'm I'm giving you one more chance to to step away or skip ahead uh, cuz it's really good. But it's anyway, really good. we're going to give and like it's pretty major new. spoilers for the whole whole ending. Pretty yeah, much. like the entire final season of the show we are going to be talking about in pretty depth. Yeah. Anyway, um Shira Port Prime's hot. So we got to talk a little bit about this. Um, Shira is this. If you're not familiar, which um, you know you're lost, but we'll we'll talk mm-hmm. about it here a little bit. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about. Well, I guess the important things to get here is that in the final season of Shira, our main characters are going up against a villain called Horde Prime. Mm-hmm. Horde Prime has this big spaceship, um, and the entire spaceship is filled uh, with uh, these sort of hive-minded, like, same race, maybe even, like, clones. Cloned they're, body they're clones. drones, basically. Okay, yeah. Filled with clones, all in the same hive mind, controlled by Horde Prime. Um, and, uh, that's, that's kind of the setup. This is, this is their main villain. Mm -hmm. And so... This is the big bad, bigger than the big bad of the rest of the show. And so, um, Horde Prime, uh, is, for whatever, uh, reason, able to control all of the clones, uh, of the hive, in the hive mind, and, uh, can switch bodies between them. Mm -hmm. Um... But how he does that is kind of unknown. It's it's kind of like left up to the viewer to maybe speculate at or just accept at face value that that's just something that he can do. Um, yeah, the only thing we know for sure is that it's not magic, which is a thing that is real in the universe in the show. Uh, it is specifically some form of sci-fi or biology that is just not explained. Yeah. Um and another ability of Horde Prime is that he can read the mind of anybody in the hive mind uh, and can recondition people uh, to become a part of his hive mind with something uh, that is referred to as a Horde chip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it reprograms them to become a part of the Horde. Yeah. Um, in the case of Hordak, a uh one of the previous villains uh from the series uh who was kind of uh, a clone who got cut off from the hive mind and eventually uh like formed his own personality and has been fighting against uh the main characters for a while now trying to basically call horde prime into their universe or or what have you this yeah. this old clone uh was reconditioned uh directly uh by these mechanical tendrils on Horde Prime and after so after being called defective by Horde Prime which oh yeah. hot and so um so 
Horde Prime can can recondition uh, clones directly with those those kind of like tendrils, and can condition anybody uh, that is not a part of the hive mind uh, clones with these little uh, implanted uh, horde chips. Mm-hmm. And he has this huge little like Mountain Dew jacuzzi in his ship that has this huge group of clones around it, and it's very like cult religious ceremony vibe oh yeah it's it's, it's really in- interesting it's very religion horny and very cult horny and very hypno horny the entire everything about it absolutely um non horde prime clones can be linked in and controlled to the horde hive mind via a horde chip like we talked about uh this chip can be disabled if it's gotten to before it fully integrates with the host possibly by rewriting the dna of the host or fusing with the body or its nervous system permanently. We don't know. Uh, It does, however, cause visual changes in the form of glowing green eyes reflecting uh, the other clones, um, and circuitry patterns appearing on their skin outwards from the chip on the back of their neck. And those kind of just slowly spread out as it gets more and more integrated in the host. Yeah, which, again, we're going to say this a lot. That's hot. That's corruption horny. That's corruption horny. Um, Despite the Horde army behaving very much like a cult and trying to stamp out any kind of individuality individuality among the clone army, uh, there's actually, like, a bunch of different clones that are seen as having different personalities. Hordak being the prime example, um, cut off from the hive mind, uh, has his own character and everything, once he's reconditioned, he's very sort of somber and calm and thoughtful, as opposed to kind of having anger issues beforehand. Uh, a specific unnamed captured clone is very fanatical and religious and talkative about, like, the virtues of Horde Prime and everything. And then one of the guards guarding Princess Glimmer aboard the ship when she gets captured is incredibly smug and hostile towards her. But you know what? Looking at this now, it's it's maybe possible that um, those aren't different personalities, but how a clone would react to different conditions. Mm-hmm. Because if you're being reconditioned, that sounds like a sober and calming moment. If you're captured, that sounds like a, a moment where you would be fanatical. If you were a cell guard... Yeah, that sounds like a moment where you would be smug. That's fair. I, and it's we can't really get much more information because, like, there's, we watch the show. There's only so much media. Yeah, there's only so much media. You don't. It's kind of hard to tell if the same clone appears twice for obvious reasons. Uh, outside of Hordak or Wrong Hordak, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but that's a very good point. Uh, the clone army's sort of lifetime long conditioning isn't bulletproof uh and it's built up on a lot of religious fanaticism uh and mind control due to like the hive mind and everything the religious fanaticism part's actually really interesting and we recommend reading into it it's about like a lot of the main writer's experiences with like being raised in a religious environment growing up it's a good read anyway um hordak you know, the original big bad of the show was able to overcome this programming and reprogram, reprogramming first through, like, being away when uh, Horde Prime s- 
sent him away to like go and conquer Etheria because he was like this I hate this dude get him out of here so he starts to get his sort of own self through that and then eventually through kind of building a relationship and friendship with Entrapta um he kind of starts to even sort of like stop thinking of Horde Prime as perfect and stop wanting to impress him so much and start considering just like abandoning trying to contact him at all. Um, another example, Wrong Hordak uh, was separated from the hive mind due to being uh, sort of unplugged from a rejuvenation pod to, like, kind of repair his body, chassis, whatever, what have you, he would eventually turn on Horde Prime and the rest of the Hive Mind after being treated with a bunch of kindness by the main squad and learning that Horde Prime is actually fallible uh, going against what they were taught due to his inability to take over a planet because it was magical, and Horde Prime is weak to and does not understand magic which is just it's interesting uh and speaking of wrong hordak when he's knocked out of that rejuvenation pod he exhibits extreme distress at being disconnected from the hive mind uh and he starts worrying that horde prime won't know how loyal he is to uh horde prime or worse that he can't sense horde prime's presence at all and this is interesting for a few reasons. One, tangent, uh, Jessica saw this scene before we did when we were watching the show uh, with different groups <laughs> uh, and specifically told us about it when we were in the middle of like season four and we could not stop thinking about it at all. Uh, and we cried when we saw it because it's very like sad drone feels. <laughs> um, but back on topic. This is interesting because it talks about something we're going to talk about in a little bit, which was just on a plant in y'all's heads, of this kind of implies that the hive mind might not be a traditional everyone's connected hive mind, and more of like, everyone passes through Horde Prime and then on to the next member of the hive mind, like a single point with a bunch of lines going out. It's just interesting. We like it. It's weird. Um, next point, in the final confrontation, Horde Prime's current body is, you know, killed, destroyed, what have you, by Hordak, who is then immediately possessed by Horde Prime. We don't know why, we don't know how, um, we don't know how we can do this at all, um, but then he is, his sort of, like, spirit essence is expelled or banished and destroyed from within Hordak's body. Uh, this immediately destroys the hive mind itself and, you know, quote unquote, frees all the clones from the hive mind. So that's kind of interesting. It's it's like, mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they kill his current body and then he just swaps over into another body. Like just kind of this uh, concept of, of some kind of creature possessing each of them. I, I, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say ghost-like. Uh, um, sure it's the... almost more like godlike. Interesting. Especially given like the context of Horde Prime in general and the Horde in general. Like it's possible that like due to 
the events off screen that we don't see leading up to Horde Prime becoming like the Galactic Empire ruler, there was some sort of apotheosis that allowed him to like become this hive mind, become this sort of spirit like thing that can switch bodies like this. Thankfully, magic hurt him and he died. That's right. And... Kill God with magic. Kill God with magic? Um, Become new God. Yes, please. Mm -hmm. I, I will do this. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of interesting uh, because, like you said, it, it sort of puts Horde Prime as like this kind of like uh, center of the hive mind. Like it's not, you know, everybody in the hive mind is connected uh, so much as like maybe everybody goes through Horde Prime. As yeah, like, like he's a between. relay or something. A conduit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there would be some evidence supporting this in the fact that Horde, or Wrong Hordak had to make a big announcement to his brethren um, if he wasn't disconnected from the hive mind earlier. And the only reason we mention this at all to you is because we really wanted to find another point to, like, back up this theory because it's really cool to us and there's just not enough information. Oh, yeah, this is this is kind of interesting. Like... Uh, it, it feels like, in a way, that the writers didn't want to stick super closely to, like, one interpretation or the other, and it kind of just ends up making this hive mind have, like, a lot of small inconsistencies that mm -hmm. that seem more like something's uh, something interesting is going on, rather than, like, creating plot holes. Yeah, it, it, it all goes back to the sort of religious look on it of, like, it's very, it's hard to understand, and it might even play on that specifically for, like, an aspect of horror, uh, for instance. You know, the the classic root of horror is, like, people fear what they don't understand. And it being kind of weird like that can make Horde Prime's sort of hive mind connection more eerie. And it's definitely shown as a scary thing in the show, we're just a filthy pervert. Oh, yeah. I mean, aren't we all? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But moving on, Horde Prime has those multiple forms of control, uh, the mind control and the body control through the hive mind, and then the total body possession of uh, switching that he uses to, you know, have infinite life. This is actually seen in the show a couple times, the body control. He can kind of roll his eyes back in his main head, and they roll forward on one of the clones. And it's very obvious that, like, oh shit, Horde Prime's in that one right now. Yeah, that's horny. Mm-hmm. The Horde chips are really interesting. There's very little detail on how the devices work. The wiki page is just sinfully small. Um, We don't know if it's connected to the creature, to the hive mind... Uh, through a constant stream of, like, voices drowning out their head. It could be something changing them physically to be more aligned with the connection of the Horde, like on a biological level. Uh, it could be possessing their consciousness while rewriting their mind in the background. And, like, kind of leaving tra them trapped in that weird, like, insect fungus state. <laughs> yeah, um, or or maybe it's just, like... I don't know. I just want to tie this into our our horde uh horde prime conduit theory now. Mhm. Mm but yeah, there's 
just not a ton of information on that. And so um, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to evaluate. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of, like, room for you to create fantasy here. Yeah, um, because, there's, there's a lot that you can play with. Um, if you want to create something like that, there's a lot of different ways that you could run it um, that, you know, would feel different for you or be interesting for you. Mm-hmm. All we know for certain is that the chip eventually becomes impossible to remove, that they connect everyone to the hive mind, and that the connection is based in some central communication tower sort of deal. Um, which there's probably some sort of communication tower device on the ship as well. Um, this is just a strategy used when, like, the Horde sieges a planet and, like, chips people on the planet. Yeah, and so um, that's the information that we're kind of working with here. You know, we mm -hmm. can't dog on it because it's not, like, trying to represent things in hypnosis per se. This is more of a, like, brainwashing, mind control type thing. Yeah, which, um, like, there's a ton of that in media that gets called hypnosis, so we're counting it. I would say that as far as, like, its parallels to, like, uh, religious dogma, um, mm -hmm. like, like, I mean, that is kind of a, a brainwashing. Um, yeah, a lot of, like, cult tactics are like conditioning and brainwashing uh, yeah there's there's a lot of uh like cults out there that specifically use um religion as kind of a way to propagate and so it's it's uh it's fairly like those in in a lot of like their themes uh mm -hmm. but but again you know this one's more a little a little more steeped in uh fantasy so what what can we do to bring this into our play we're probably looking for almost like a deific reverence sort of headspace, like a warship, like an unquestioning loyalty, like a god-king sort of deal. Uh, maybe built up through long-term brainwashing and conditioning, like a number of sessions. You or use a possibly just kind of using a single session to, uh, you know, kind of suggest that they feel like they're brainwashed or conditioned um that's interesting and having like them that. having them in that kind of headspace for for a session of just like complete awe at your your kind maybe even fear at your power mm -hmm. and this yes. loyalty and and being kind of like this pawn that you can physically possess in the scene mm -hmm. so that's that's something that you can kind of uh take away from this Totally. And you could even use a prop, like, something that looks like a horde chip, or that you have, like, made if you're really cool and you know a jeweler or something. Or, like, a necklace or collar or something with a similar effect that's maybe hiding the chip in it, quote-unquote. And then, and then that's really interesting, um, because, uh, one thing that you could do as part of the scene with your, with your little horde chip, like, slowly taking over their mind... And again, you don't know how it works, so you can suggest however you think uh, is the hottest. Mm -hmm. But um, if you wanted to, you could even like just kind of like trance them to maybe forget what happens during that particular trance, or just like maybe saying it like you don't form memories during this part when I'm trancing mm -hmm. here. But just like painting on 
the little like technology little bites and and lines expanding out from the chip and maybe doing that a couple different times during a scene so that they just come to uh, with no memory of what just happened other than the fact that they were blacked out for a second and that uh, the Horde chip looks like it's even more integrated with their body. Can we just say, you mentioned um, that, you know, memories won't form during that, and that's good and it works, but our brain immediately chimed in with, um, instead of remembering the words that, you know, me, the hypnotist, is telling you, you will remember all of the acts of worship uh, that you want to provide for me. Ah, yes, that's actually even better. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's replacing of, as opposed of as opposed to saying "Don't do this." Instead of saying "Not forming any memories," saying "All of your memories of this moment of this trance will be replaced with memories of worshiping me." Mm-hmm. That's that's hot. Great addition. Thank you. And yeah, you can sort of incorporate the sort of culty vibe too if that's your if that's your jam the eerie chant of the horde as one of them is being reconditioned like in the show the sort of like monkish like robe get up and this is this is something that's relevant for everything we're going to talk about in the show in this episode and in other episodes of this like style if you've seen the source media and you're trying to do one of these ideas of like how to recreate this in like a real world or a, like a proper technical scenario, them having watched the show, your subject having watched the show at all is a primer that this is possible and this will work. Once they have in their imagination what it would be like to do this from mm-hmm. those like powerful scenes that you've seen, Directly referencing them or calling them to mind in some way can be very powerful and uh, make it make it just work a lot easier for you. Those those comparisons are just you know very very good ways to prime. Mm-hmm. And like the brain, if you're like, you know to use the reductive example, if you're talking the sub- to the subconscious. And you say, oh, hey, you feel like this thing that happened in this show. Um, the brain will be like, I know what that feels like. I saw that show. And then it'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you first. That in sync. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, if you are looking to kind of play this, there's a lot of angles that you can take from like corruption with the horde ship to a sort of almost like deity kink type scene based around Mm -hmm. uh, the relationship between the leader of a hive mind and a singular disciple of it. You can do a whole reprogramming scene where somebody is broken and there's something wrong about them that needs to be righted. Um, You could do maybe a punishment scene uh, where, you know, somebody has has failed this godlike figure you could do something that's more light and fluffy like if you wanted to take it a little a little step away from where the media was uh or or maybe you could even even kind of keep it in that like darker tone of like being the hive god's little pet <laughs> uh their 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 favorite go-getter <laughs> god Go get him, champ. 
Incredible. Uh, but yeah, there's 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 a lot that you can kind of do here. Um, it it dips into like deity, it dips into hive mind, it dips into corruption, etc. Yeah, a ton of stuff. Um, next up, perhaps even more well known than uh, Bioshock's "Would You Kindly," is the ever-present Star Wars Jedi mind trick. Who the fuck hasn't heard about this? Like, for example, take us. Uh, we only watched Star Wars for the first time this year. We're 24. We had seen the threequels, 7, 8, and 9, uh, in theaters when they came out, because, eh, people wanted to see them. We'll withhold our opinions on those, because that's a hot topic. Um, but... We we ended up watching through all of the original movies and the Clone Wars series with uh, our our future roommates. It's it's just such a ubiquitous thing. Uh, the Jedi mind trick in the show or the movie is basically using the Force. Uh, Jedi using the Force, which is kind of the natural energy of the universe, life, death, everything. Um with a sort of hand wave gesture to manipulate the target, in lore this is specifically, you know, someone with a weak mind or a weak will, into being, into temporarily believing anything that they are told by the person using the force on them, um, that's using the mind trick on them, uh, including performing actions or, and like doing what they're told or, uh, responding with pertinent information, etc. One example of this, uh, in a kind of, like, what sort of moment, was that uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi was able to cause somebody to rethink their entire life of selling drugs in a bar just by doing the Jedi mind trick on them. Um, it's, <laughs> it's silly, uh, but that's, like, the kind of thing we're working with here. Anything from, like, telling someone to go rethink their life to telling somebody that these droids next to us are not the droids that they are in fact looking for. You know, convincing someone that something isn't there or that they're not a problem. Then there's kind of a couple deeper lore stuff that we had to wiki dive a little bit to find. And they're two very interesting points. And the first one is that a force user has to be able to reach into a subject's mind and learn the best way to affect them. Uh, for example... Creating an illusion of a larger army will not help if the enemy will just be more motivated to fight against a bigger force, like if they're a warrior race or something. And then, secondarily, there's an in-universe character, uh, we don't know how to pronounce this, but it appears like their name is uh, Yariel Poof, was a Jedi or a force wielder, and strongly urged other Jedi to really just carefully consider how they actually go about using the Jedi mind trick. Talking about how being thoughtless with it would cause a guard to lose their job or could lead somebody to injury if they left them unattended. Which, yeah, use hypnotic safeties, dog. Come on. In the, in the show, certain species are resistant or even immune to the trick due to the structure of their brain. You know, maybe this is neurodivergence. We'll talk about that later. This is most notable as an example on the Toydarians, the sort of fly tapir people. 
uh, as seen in one of the movies. Mm-hmm. Some of the Sith, which are like the evil, the bad Jedi that are not, it's more complicated than that, but they're like, you know, the antagonistic force wielders. I, I think, I think Jedi are the mean bad people. They're both bad people is oh, the, is the end result. We've got a, we've got a Gundam situation here. Like, oh, they're the bad guys, right? Does, does that mean that the Federation is the good guys? What do you mean the Federation isn't the good guys? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But yeah, the Sith and the Jedi both suck in different ways. Anyways, uh, some Sith go beyond merely, like, using the Jedi mind trick as, like, a suggestion and instead try to, like, mentally enslave people using it. Uh, they've also used this sort of, like, dark version of the mind trick in interrogation, trying to do, like, a hypnotic interrogation to pry information out of the mind of people who are kind of their captives. Evil mind trick. The trick is that you serve me now, forever. <laughs> right, the trick is that you belong to me. Um, the Jedi mind trick can be resisted, it can be trained against, um, because, you know, learning about hypnosis makes it easier to understand how to resist it. There's an amount of force or power one can put into the trick as a Jedi user to break through this resistance, and multiple people can even, like, dogpile on this power to cast a Jedi mind trick at a single target. Uh, but this sucks and causes immense pain to the target of the mind trick and can even permanently damage their mind physically or just mentally traumatize them. Just cooking like an egg in that cranium. Just too imagine, much mind power. Imagine a fractal microwave. Imagine a microwave within a microwave. Imagine four microwaves inside each other and all of them are on at the same time. Okay, my brain hurts now. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. That's the microwaves. Oh no, the microwaves. <laughs> we need um, to fix me. Where are the macrowaves? Fuck. You had it set to M for microwave. Ah, fool it. Uh, targets of the mind trick often experience amnesia over the course of them being, like, charmed. Uh, just kind of forgetting what happened. Uh, in the non-canonical threequels, Rey and Kylo Ren have this sort of telepathic link thing to try to, because they tried to mind trick each other super intensely, and that's just mind wars. Mind wars, telepathy. It's telepathy. So we're yeah. saying some words today. It's it doesn't make a lot of sense. That one's just on here to like show you that we really dug through this bullshit. Um targets of the mind trick are usually not woken up by the Jedi. They are left to their own devices, and in some cases in the Clone Wars, uh it even appears hard or impossible for nearby friends or crew to wake up somebody under the influence of the mind trick until the target wakes up naturally over the course of some time. Fuck that. <laughs> like, first of all. So, looking looking at these points a bit more closely, certain species being resistant or immune to the trick could kind of tangentially translate to neurodivergence and difficulty trancing a subject that doesn't think in the same way the hypnotist is used to, or even such a basic thing as the hypnotist has only had experience doing direct suggestion and the subject is in indirect suggestible. Yeah, that's like a pretty interestingly close parallel. Um, mm -hmm. No clue if they were going for that, but you know what? That's that's interesting. 
Knowing them, they probably weren't, but it's cool that it ended up being so close. Like, the fact that you have to understand the mind very thoroughly, and if you don't think in the same way, obviously you're not going to understand their brain. I mean, uh, you know, I have no personal experience with this, uh, but it might also be a little bit like uh, trying to trance somebody uh, using uh, a language that is not your native language uh, because you don't oh, necessarily um, have quite as, as a nuanced grasp on it as a native speaker would. And, huh. and we use language in our hypnotic practice like so, 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 so much because like, um, you know, we're, we're trying to like uh, elicit certain things and that's just kind of the easiest way to do things. But but yeah, it's also um, sort of like that. Damn, can't believe we have to go and learn another language to test this. Yeah, it's super interesting. I've I've seen a couple people talk about it online. Um, not not a ton, but uh, I've I've seen it around. I want to learn more about it. That's so tight. You know, um, and this is a whole aside. I'm about to like crack this episode open. Hit us, do it. But. I either read or saw something recently where Mm -hmm. they were talking about how, I think it was an article, they were talking about how um, people who spoke different languages had different gestures. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because blind people would uh, gesture in the same way that people from their language would gesture. Huh. And, uh, it's, and, and it is the same, uh, it's consistent across languages. So, uh, you know, blind people who speak English will gesture in the same way that other native English speakers would. Uh, and then, you know, uh, blind people who speak, uh, Mandarin would gesture the same way that people who speak Mandarin would. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. And so it kind of proves that like, gesturing might just be like so closely related to like how language is that they might be like part and parcel to like forming each other um brains are cool yeah that that's that's kind of like not even tangential i just thought of it and i don't know bring that into your hypnotic practice i don't know how we're just sitting here like that's so cool (laughs) so cool dude it's, we love it the thing is 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 hypnosis um it's tricky you think you'll get into it as a hypno nerd but then you're like three other kinds of nerd right off the bat mm-hmm. and, and immediately uh, language is is one of those language is really interesting ecology is really interesting anyway mm-hmm. we were um, we were talking about jedis yeah so let's talk about the sith instead um okay. The Sith using the mind control sort of Jedi mind control trick to interrogate and control people is a very real parallel to, like, physical, like, real-world situations of abuse and assault with hypnosis, um, and how hypnosis has been, like, documented, like, in use by police investigations and police investigators, and has almost always provided strictly false or fabricated memories and evidence created by, like, context clues and the subject's imagination while they're being questioned. 
because man, that just sucks. Like they're being pressured from the hypnotist present, and we do put that hypnotist that use of that word in quotes. Yeah, Ugh. there's there's no way. Uh, I don't know if the Sith actually get useful information out of it. Um, mm-hmm. But there is there is no way to um, trance somebody to give any kind of testimonial or. Um, you know, it's it's really dangerous to try and use hypnosis to, like, uncover, like, uh, repressed memories or what have you. Because the mm-hmm. nature of hypnosis is inherently suggestive. And yeah. so you are always creating something with hypnosis. And so whenever you try and call to mind, if you try to have somebody, like, call to mind information or memories or what have you... um usually the mind will make it up Mm -hmm. um and so uh using hypnosis uh is is very very easy to like taint information with uh like false uh memories Mm -hmm. uh and like kind of going on that like forceful side of it like hypnosis has in again in real world situations played a role in like sexual assault cases and as a form of coercion and as outright sexual assault in and of itself like it can be deeply deeply horrible um in this sort of like use uh as it's kind of shown in the show to be like incredibly painful and uncomfortable and like an invasion of intimacy uh jumping back to this to the jedi though the mind trick actually does a surprising amount right uh once you actually kind of dig through the lore the surface level of it like the movies it's just bullshit it's it's just like oh it's only effective on a weak mind oh we don't have to pay attention to this person we can just leave them there mindless waiting to be responded to again like it inflicts a miniature catatonic mind control as opposed to just like a quick boom, snappy finger stage hypnosis, hypnotic command before they realize what they're doing. It's very much less hypnosis and more mind control, which, you know, mind trick kind of implies, but it does some things right. If you dig down deep enough, it's in the subtext the master that warns against doing this recklessly, somebody trying to teach hypnotic safeties, and needing to be able to understand and learn what is most effective on a specific target's mind, mirroring actual learning of a subject before and while putting them in trance, and even the fact that, like, targets experience, like, textbook hypnotic amnesia. It's... It's got a lot of, like, parallels, quite honestly. It's got a lot of parallels, but they're all under the surface. It's like you covered a cake in fondant. It, they, they covered, they made a mind control cake, but they put a little hypnosis frosting on it. They put a little, it's more like they made a, a hypnosis lava cake. Like, it's mind control on the outside and the gooey chocolate center that everyone craves is the hypnosis. I don't know. I think some people kind of crave the the mind control. Oh, let's be real here. We're a cake gal. We like the cake the most part. <laughs> um, training to resist hypnosis, like training to resist the mind trick. Y- yeah, you can do that. 
Um, learning how hypnosis works is like a really good one. Training yourself as a subject in your ability to safe word and wake yourself up automatically and more easily if you need to. Like, there are very basic things that you can do to just like resist a trance. And like learn to resist a trance. So it's kind of, it, it, we, it makes us wonder like what the sort of training is to resist the mind trick. Yeah, definitely. And it's probably likely to do with just understanding the Force and, like, learning how to deal with that. Too bad that question is never answered anywhere in the uh, greater series uh, or in-universe lore. Um, But if we're wrong about that, feel free to like, comment, and subscribe. Right, absolutely, yes. Um, Perhaps not directly correlated this show. You know, someone can be traumatized very much by hypnosis like we talked about um especially if it's done maliciously and without regard for the safety of the subject uh this is actually seen in the clone wars uh the jedi council decides to basically all pile on like six people trying to brute force a mind trick on the bounty hunter cad bane who is trained in resisting the mind trick and they all talk about like Hey, there are risks associated to this. We might permanently damage this person's mind. Is that cool? Yeah, that's fine. The Jedi suck, y'all. <laughs> the Jedi are not cool. Damn. I thought they were cool, but then they weren't. The Sith also suck. They just kill each other for no reason. <laughs> that's the way. That's how you do it, I'm pretty sure. It's the rule of two. Um... A particularly funny example that we talked about at the very beginning of the mind trick is, like, in the Clone Wars TV show where Obi-Wan is doing that thing with the man selling drugs, he uses the mind trick first to get the dealer to, like, leave him alone, and then is like, hmm, hold on, and does a second Jedi mind trick and says, go home and rethink your life. You want to go home and rethink your life. And this is just funny to us because it draws parallels to, like, self-help hypnosis videos and like series and like scammy sort of self-help hypnosis of just like a quick and easy way to quit smoking in three weeks which like sure it'll probably work for somebody that but that's the kind of person that like quitting smoking would be able to be possible without that self-help you know now i will i will say that like uh, hypnosis for quitting smoking is is definitely real and, and it is a real thing. There is, is there are effective. weird ones for that, but I'm sure that there's plenty of like you know like self help DVDs out there that um, maybe aren't necessarily the best quality. Mm-hmm. Like there are there are ones that are very much just like like scams. Definitely. So you may be wondering. How do I do the Jedi mind trick? I do not have the 4S. Well, you would probably want to do it with some sort of rapid fixation induction. Play on the popular hand wave. Use the series as the primer very heavily. If someone's seen the Jedi mind trick, if someone's seen the Clone Wars especially, because the Clone Wars is really good and you should watch it, you would be able to sort of like have that advantage. Even still, though, you could do a lot of priming in the lead-up. You could talk about, you know, how it works. You could tell them. You could teach them as you're setting up for it. 
Uh, maybe you use a very subtle prop. You put on a glove during negotiation, or maybe you're painting your nails during negotiation, or doing something to your hand during negotiation to make them sort of focus on it a bit more uh, for the very quick induction you're about to do. And you kind of, like, prime them a little bit, get them sort of, like, in a half induction with the end of the setup of the negotiation and just, like, put them down. So, um, the other way that you could do this is, if, if you wanted to, this could just be something that you set as, like, a trigger. Um, yeah, Like the Would You easily. Kindly, kind of just this, um this universal trigger that um you do the the certain hand wave and you talk in the special voice for the hand wave and then you uh give the suggestion but i i do think that it's really um kind of interesting because like there this is kind of your opportunity to make use of like your rapid induction skills and mm -hmm. your um sort of like conversational hypnosis maybe even like um if you're more into like nlp or like covert hypnosis just kind of using those like fancy ways that we um like run words past somebody that embed mm -hmm. suggestions or or like frame something in a particular way as to get a certain outcome you know if, if as long as you've like negotiated that well enough with your partner um you can kind of just give some kind of like quick flash of the hand like a fixation some kind of element of overload or what have you to just kind of put them in that light state and then giving them that um that kind of quick pass by the mind suggestion mm -hmm. and depending on how direct or indirect you do it or you know who you're working with this honestly could go off pretty 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 smoothly for you yeah um, and regardless of which kind of route you do with this, you do your command and you actually wake them up and be safe, unlike the Jedi or the Sith. Yeah, uh, don't accidentally leave them in trance forever. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of unfortunate. And, like, don't make them wake themselves up. Like, come on. Help them out. Help them out. Subs, they get real trancey and daisy. You want to mm -hmm. make sure that they don't run into walls or fall over. Or at the very least, like, tell them that they can stay in the state as long as is comfortable and come up at their own pace. Don't just fucking, like, well, done with you. Drop them like a potato sack on the bed and walk away. Like, come on. You will say this mantra forever. Goodbye. Oy <laughs> <laughs> vey. So yeah, that's that's four examples of hypnosis in media. We did four instead of five, and that's okay. It's okay. This episode's running a little long. Listener, you don't even remember that there was supposed to be a fifth. But yeah, thank y'all for hanging out. Thank y'all for listening to this episode. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you. Um, yeah. We're, we're, we're very excited to kind of try out some new format with the show. Uh, mm -hmm. This isn't like what we're going to do all the time. You know, this is going to be like a side occasional thing, like your your witch's brews. Um, yeah. Every so often you might get uh, a hypnosis and media episode. 
Yeah, like, they're pretty fun to do, honestly. We had a, we really enjoyed researching all of this shit. Um, and we already have a few picked out for next time that we're going to do one of these, whenever it shows up. Uh, and we have another episode planned in our regular format, in our regular Mindless Matters format, uh, that should be right on time next month. Hell yeah. Uh, so again, thank you so much. Uh, wherever you're listening, wherever we're getting to you, um, every, every day we beam our 5G hypnosis podcast beams out into the world and, and you listen to them on a platform somewhere. Whether every be, day we, every day we beam further from God's light. Whether that be on YouTube, Soundgasm, uh, Anchor, all of the other places that Anchor just distributes to. Spotify. Spotify. Google Casts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We see you. We hear you. We do. We don't. It's actually one way. Um, but you we're hear glad us. that you hear us, yeah. Um, we have a Kofi. If you um <laughs> I, What's I, up? I was gonna say if you like our pussy that much, <laughs> you should pay for it. Damn right. Uh, you know, to 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 carbon date this episode, heroes do eat pussy. What? Have you not stop the podcast? Stop everything. Have you not heard about this? What? So, in the uh, Harley Quinn show, there was going to be a joke um, and like a, a reference to Batman going down on Catwoman and eating her out. That's great, right? Um, and DC came down on them and was like, no, you can't do that. Heroes don't do that. What? And the Harley Quinn team was like, heroes are selfish lovers. What are you trying to say? <laughs> Why can't heroes eat pussy? That's incredible. And it's been this huge ongoing debate, like, on social media. And, like, there is, like, drawings and there is petitions we saw porn today of Batman eating out Catwoman specifically in reference to this on our timeline. That's great. It's Love really that. good. There's a there's a Twitch clip from a streamer we watched that's just like, of course he goes down. If I have learned anything from my relationships with all of my past girlfriends, it's that heroes eat pussy. It's it's so funny. But yes, no. Uh, uh so if you if you need that, uh there's a link in our Discord which whoa by the way, we have. we have a Discord server. Um, it's very chill. It's we don't we don't talk in there very much. But you know what? If you talked in there, yeah, well, the we, second we anyone probably... in there talks, we immediately like get notified. The little signal antenna on our head just lights up and beeps, and we're like, "Ah, oh, gotta check the Discord." Have you ever just been sitting at home and you've just thought to yourself, "I really wish I could bother somebody who has a podcast." Well, you wouldn't <laughs> be bothering us because we love it when people talk to us. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're like in the episode discussion chat, the amount of pure like dopamine that goes through Jess and our heads, like whenever somebody's talking about the episode specifically, good is immense. It's like eating one of those potato chips that's curled over on itself twice instead of just once. Damn, that's that's it's a lot of shit. It's a lot of dopamine, right? Um. Bye. <laughs>
Good night. Good night, everybody. Um, we guess. <laughs> and if uh, if, if it's good morning, you can crack open that cold one later. <laughs>